this is most unusual of one in your profession. Is it not customary of the guild that these events are now forgotten? Welcome, listeners. This is Sound Only. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. We're your Sound Only co-host, here to record our deepest, darkest thoughts about the 21st century and the millennial lifestyle. This week, we're talking about The Mandalorian. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Mando! Mando. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, it's just it's like, I, I got to say that I don't really enjoy the, the shortening of the... Because what do you have going on? Mando? You can't just say Mando? We were from Lando to Mando. That's how we I'm made it. I'm just saying that it's just like, you know, that, that Mando is... Not that I'm saying I say it, but, you know, shorthand for or abbreviation for mandatory and, you know, not necessarily Mandalorian. I don't know. It just feels very. You tripped oh, I've literally we'll never said it. the Whatever. word mandatory. I, to get out of here with this. Get out of here with this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Is yes, Mando viewing. About the appointment viewing. Mando yes. viewing. Yes. Um, Dog. I know on this podcast, we have talked about some like nerd monoculture, you know, multi-billion dollar Marvel sized stuff. And I'm always the person who comes in talking about, yeah, you know, I don't really, I don't really fuck with that. I don't really bang with Marvel movies, et cetera, et cetera. Star Wars is my one thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> since, one thing. since the 1990s, you know what I mean? Like Star Wars is the one of the sort of megacorp nerd culture appropriated as monoculture It was the thing that you were willing to I, suspend your disbelief for. This is your, it is your, I, it's your, I mean, it's, it's a thing that had, that, that had you at midnight at, at the theater of midnight and whatnot. Dog, I distinctly remember falling asleep during Attack of the Clones in theaters. The fact that I had that experience, and yet to this day, I still follow this series around, Star Wars, this franchise rather around, like a sad dog, like the sad dog that I am. <laughs> We're talking about Star Wars this week, and I'm actually kind of happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> I like I fuck with the Mandalorian. I like it. I like the show. Okay, the bit, 
The Mandalorian is uh the Mandalorian is a good show. The Mandalorian is a fun show. It is um should we just set the table a little bit? Um, the Mandalorian is a limited series streaming on Disney Plus that um started last year with an eight episode run. I think it was an eight episode run. It's eight but, episodes, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, released sporadically over the fall winter window of television. <laughs> Um, like at random times, it'd be like a new episode on Tuesday and then one next Wednesday and then, you know, like two episodes streaming on Friday. It was just very random. But anyway, yeah. it was worth yeah. the erratic scheduling um, just for the scenery. It's a very pretty looking show. Um, the soundtrack, it's uh, scored by Ludwig van Gorenson, um, who did the Creed soundtrack and, you know, is responsible for... <laughs> Like most of Childish Gambino, all of most, if not all, of Childish Gambino sound. And I mean, like, again, it is, it, like, it's a fun playground because it takes place after the events of Return of the Jedi, but before. Right. Yes. Um, the, but the before, like, the new trilogy of movies or whatever. I like yeah. it's, it's a very large expanse of time that goes like 740 something years that go unaccounted for in the Star Wars universe. Um, right. Due to chronology. But yeah. So we're, we're following around the Mandalorian. You said pretty. Describe, are we talking about dusty, windswept? We're talking about, okay. All right. So. This is what I mean by pretty. If you're watching, if you're watching A New Hope, which I mean, you know, like in, in full 4K on a giant TV, which I did like last year at some point at a friend's apartment or something. Like when you see Luke coming over the sand dune on Tatooine with the uh, with the George for the first time, like in that weird sort of like you know, future poor chic thing that he's wearing. It's like, I don't, it's like, I, you're not questioning that he's on Tatooine. Yeah. And like, that's a big, that's a big deal in 1979. Because I mean, like, you're shooting that where? And like, you know, some desert somewhere. But like, you know, you as a viewer are not questioning that you're on Tatooine and that there are indeed other planets in the solar system that you can explore, which is like a big thing to create. At that at that moment in time, it's such a big thing to create that you were literally negative twenty years old in nineteen seventy nine. Negative yet, twenty. You were like, I'm there. I'm on Tatooine. Exactly. I. It's. But the thing is that I. What I mean by beautiful is that like it's really picturesque landscape. Like if you take you know screenshots of it, the the colors and the contrast and the and uh, you know. The amber dust hills on the, you know, blue skies where they have two distant moons in the background. The shit is very pretty looking. Yeah. You focused on the pretty aspect of it, though. I think one thing about the, the Mandalorian that I think is really important and that sort of serves as the real contrast between the Mandalorian as a show and then the Star Wars, the sort of later Star Wars movies, which we'll also talk about, is that like the Mandalorian is not as a show, not as a character, as a show. The Mandalorian is not in a hurry to get out of these sort of like dusty, vast landscapes, right? Like if you think about The Force Awakens, it's like you meet Rey and like you have this sort of rehashing of like that that Tatooine landscape, right? But 
that movie and the movies in general are in such a hurry to get out of that kind of environment, to get into the sort of more busy, like pew, 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 like all that Star Wars busyness. (laughs) Whereas like the Mandalorian is very much like, we're going to take this slow. We're going to take this at the pace of a TV show. Yeah, it is um, so not in a rush that, you know, like you don't see our main character's face, you know, because of the creed of the Mandalorians until the final episode of the first season. Yeah. Um, it is a very slow moving show. Yeah. Um, Which is why it's, it's wild to me that the show blew up as the sort of redeeming Star Wars thing. Right. of recent Especially years. when it's still sort of like, you know, pulls the old Star Wars tricks of having a small irresistible primed for Hasbro character that is just like meant to diffuse tension and also draw I mean like draw attention away from the fact that like there's not much writing going That's on. That's right you're talking about the breakout character <laughs> of the Mandalorian IG11 that is correct. Yes. <laughs> IG11. <laughs> IG11. Yes. The breakout yes, sensation. The breakout sensation <laughs> of Mandalorian season. RIP to the RIP to the king. We miss you pimp. Way to sacrifice <laughs> yourself for the team. I'm not um, a hunter. I'm a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, like that, that is also, I mean, IG 11, while we're joking, was like a better, um, was more emblematic of what the show was capable of, like the weirder swings yeah. that it could take, you know, being yeah. in that weird nether region in between trilogies. Uh, yeah. Because IG 11 droid stout starts out as a bounty droid. And the actual thing that I was talking about was baby Yoda. In the first episode, the Mandalorian is going, like, his mission is to go find Baby Yoda, and IG-11 is also after the bounty. Hijinks ensue because Taika Waititi is voicing IG-11, and, like, at the end, like, you know, protocol mandates that he must eliminate the target, but the target is a cute-ass baby. So the Mandalorian kills him, but he comes back later in the season uh, reformed. There's actually this, like, long beautiful montage where uh who's nick nolte's character i forget i nick but nick nolte's in there as like this this you know shamanistic uh kind of sagacious character that like mandalorian meets on some remote desert planet the one that he goes to find baby odon and and because he's bored and has nothing to do in this barren wasteland he reprograms ig11 to be like a nurse droid and he's just like i i I taught him over time you know how to be patient and how to be caring and how to be nurturing and all this other stuff and it's like yeah strangely beautiful you know it's a weird thing and i was glad that it happened yeah like that to me i do think that those little low-key characterization decisions to make everyone a little sort of quirky and to, you know, not to the point that it's like I don't think anything about the Mandalorian is too cute, except for maybe the design of of the child of Baby Yoda. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I think apart from talking about the the sort of nether realm between trilogies and Star Wars sort of cinematic universe, it's also like the weird it, the, that liminal space between this being like 
a Western on the face and a kind of comedy. Like, I don't know. It really straddles a lot of different tones in a way that I think the Star Wars movies stopped being good at. Um, Mm -hmm. And I guess the other thing I like about The Mandalorian is that I think it, you know, I think a lot of what people don't like about the newer movies has a lot about, has a lot to do with their relationship to the original trilogy and the sort of sense in which they're rehashing stuff and misappropriating yeah. stuff from sort of core Star Wars. And I think the Mandalorian actually sort of does that too, but shows that that doesn't have to be a bad or sort of exhausting idea, right? Like you have these characters, like the Mandalorian is is a character that feels like it's built around the fact that people like Boba Fett, you know, IG-11 is IG-88, you know, baby Yoda is sort of exploiting the feelings that you already have about Yoda. You know what I mean? Mm. And yet these things sort of work to create what feels like an altogether different kind of experience from watching the Star Wars movies, just because they're willing to operate at a different pace. Like you and I were talking before, we're talking about the sort of the choice to do an actual week to week release for these episodes, as opposed to like streaming dump, you know, the whole season. Yes. Yeah. And like, I think, I don't know. I think the week to week streaming works because it sort of feels like, I mean, I, I get that like binge watching is just not like that. That does affect how you consume a TV show. But I do think that that sort of teased out pace really serves this kind of show well. I think that it, you know, although I did I, when I was texting you about it, I was annoyed because I'm just kind of like, you know, what or why are we putting on airs? Just drop the whole thing at once. Nobody's doing anything. But yes, I mean, like the serialization of the show actually does work. Uh, like, I mean, like with an eye to the way that the show's paced. Like the first episode of the second season, honestly, was a full circle moment for me because when I wrote about the Mandalorian for the site, I was talking about, I was comparing it to Justified, like as a TV western, and yeah, yeah. like I definitely wasn't the only critic, even like at the ringer to, to to spy that like similarity but the thing is is that the the, the fun thing is that timothy oliphant is in the the first episode of the second season as you know a minor character that is literally called the marshal like, right a fake I mean mandalorian is, yeah yeah a, fa- a fake mandalorian but i mean he is the exact same character that he was on Justified, essentially. Like, I mean, like, it, it's, it could be the same thing as if Raylan Givens managed to somehow acquire whatever it was that, like, Yoda's race, that gives Yoda's race, like, unnaturally long life and moved to, like, the outer rims of the galaxy. He could be yeah. the marshal that's, like, you know, Podunk Town on the outer rim. Yeah. Uh, same mannerism, same perfect fucking hair. Also, <laughs> yeah. Um, Yo, that is yeah. a weird thing about like that episode. I was like watching the season two premiere, right? And it's sort of, you know, the Mandalorian. I don't think, for all its dustiness, can ever escape its Disneyness because it it is the thing where it's, it's on the one so hand round around the edges. Yeah, you know, it's at like the same you're in time. A, you're in a cantina and on the one hand, you know, it's supposed to be isolated and run down, but, but also on the other hand, they look like they got an A plus health grade, you know? And then the people that live down the street, like they're farmers and they have like dirt on their faces, but also they all look like they just did laundry last night. You know, it's like that (laughs) Disney feeling, man. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it, it is rather like inescapable. But again, it is like it's. Uh, I mean, as I literally wrote in the end of that article, it's like it's a show with giant sand sea slugs and laser swords, and therefore it doesn't really need to be Citizen Kane. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like I, but yeah, I mean, like it is very. It feels very like of a franchise, not like it's trying to do maybe all of the weird things that Favreau, you know, telegraphed in the in the original press run, being like it wanted to be, you know, telegraphing as being it, it being grittier than it, it, you know, wound up being. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. I agree with that totally. And even the, I don't know, even the structure of the episodes, right? Like, so for the premiere, like. They're basically doing like pest control. You got the Mandalorian <laughs> and the Marshal, and the way you put it to me is like they're hunting a mon. They're they're hunting like the monster that ate the Sarlacc. Basically, you're trying to think of like a huge sort of like it looks yeah. like a Molduga from Breath of the Wild, right? It's just sort of like a big big ass sand creature, but like bigger than the other sand creatures in Star Wars. I mean, <laughs> but the thing is, is that while you know, we see people melted by acid and eaten alive and, you know, there's some playful and there's some playful banner between Timothy Olyphant and Pedro Pascal and, like, it's it feels very, like, lively and, you know, maybe even adult in some ways. Like, it's still the plot of a Spongebob episode where, like... Yeah. <laughs> where, I thought Cowboy Bebop, but same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. where they, where they, you know, you think <laughs> that it, they go to the, they go to the fucking tunnel, and you think that things are gonna go one way, and then they hilariously go another, but everything ends up hunky dory in the end. Yeah, peaceful oh, resolution. A- they shake hands, and he leaves the planet with both sets of armor. Right, right. And, he, and like the episode, actually, for the fact that it's about like hunting a giant monster, and there are lots of explosions, and you see a lot of like acid that is projected and just f- melts people outright in, you know, a lot of thrashing and, and explosions in the season premiere. And yet, like, you square that with the sort of low-key nature of, like, how the the Mandalorian is paced out. I don't know. I feel like... I feel like the show's biggest strength in the, the sort of broader constellation of Star Wars is that I have no idea where this show is going, honestly. Like, I get, you know, mm-hmm. the stuff with Baby Yoda is sort of a nice sort of central, simple enough to follow, like, okay, the Mandalorian has to get the child from point A to point B, and then from point B to point C. Um, mm-hmm. But it's the fact that I don't really, like, unlike other Star Wars stuff, which feels like it's constantly being remapped onto whatever the character trajectories of their original trilogy were, the Mandalorian just feels like a thing that you have, frankly, no point of reference for in a good way. It feels unbound in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Unlike things that Lucasfilms has been doing on the big screen. Um, cough, cough. The Rise of Skywalker. Cough, cough. We spotted the fugitives. They fly now! They fly now! Micah, I'm good on The Mandalorian, the show. And yeah, I had some trepidation about 
us taping this episode, us agreeing to talk about The Mandalorian, because I knew it would be the moment when I would finally have to steal myself and finally watch The Rise of the Skywalker, which I put off. I, I put off The Rise of the Skywalker. I which really is did not... curious. How curious for you, person who follow, who would follow Star Wars into the dark, Dog. that you have not That's... yet seen The Rise of Skywalker, or the rest of us suffered. I've been through so much in my lifetime with this this goddamn franchise. I I liked like you know Force Awakens and uh, Last Jedi. I saw I think you know twice in theaters within a week of you know both screenings. Like they're movies that I liked but had problems with. I'd say especially the Force Awakens. I'm not like a huge fan of that movie. Rise of Skywalker. The way people reacted to it and sort of the hyper politicization around that movie by the time it came out, I was just like I watched some online videos about it. I read all of my colleagues' pieces about it on the ringer.com when it came out. And by the way, I had watched, you know, Rogue One, which I really like, Solo, which I hated. And by that point, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take y'all word for what this movie is like. I'm going to, you know, I, I sat through Attack of the Clones. <laughs> I can't do this again. And so I skipped it. I just didn't watch Rise of Skywalker. I just sort of resigned myself to the idea that like, Whatever the sort of state of Star Wars is, maybe I can access it through something like The Mandalorian, ultimately, right? Like a TV spinoff. Maybe I can play Squadrons, right? I can find access points, but I can't do the movies anymore. Can Until we take a brief detour it. to talk a little bit about Squadrons? About squadrons? Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah, sure. Just a brief detour. You're going to complain about how is... hard it is. You're going to let's go. All right. First of all, Squadrons video game. Yeah, Star and I'm just Wars. saying that, like, you listen, like, you don't, you don't know me like that. But also, I have been too intimidated <laughs> to pick it up most days. <laughs> I'm just, I like, it is a lot of. I, I will say, like, the first bombing run that you go on, and like, I mean, the the controls that you are taught in the first ship. There are eight configurations that you eventually have to learn. Yes, uh, and I read about that because I haven't played that much of this game. Because it's pretty difficult, but it is like a lot of fun. I will say that the first set of controls you learn are pretty intuitive. I think like you have to take down something like six TIE fighters on your on your first like mission. And it is exhilarating to like weave in and out of Star Destroyers, like, you know, tagging them. Even though, like, it took me like, I'm sure, an embarrassingly long time to complete that mission. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah. It is it is a lot of fun. And I mean the it is like uh like a tight concise Star Wars experience that I mean they they obviously put a lot of time and thought into the flying simulation. It's not just like Battlefront DLC. Yeah. yeah. It's uh it's gratifying. I just find that game weird. I think Star Wars Squadrons is weirdly gratifying despite it's like the fact that it's hard kind of serves it well. Because one, it's kind of a yes. short game. And yeah. two, it's just, it requires you to to conceive a flight movement in a very sort of, again, maybe people who, who just play flight simulators all day have a totally I mean, like you have, it gets little... very, like, eventually you have to stop. Because I mean, like the, the first, like I, it only got playable for me once I stopped pausing the game to check where everything was at. Like, because yeah. it's like, you got to divert power from the shields to the thrusters, but then back from the thrusters to the shields in certain situations. And you have to be able to keep your 
horizon line, but also you need to lose it sometimes in order to track down a TIE fighter, but then you need to regain it so that you don't run into the side of something. And eventually, like, you just stop reading stuff and, like, it sounds so corny, but you actually do have to feel it. Yeah. Um, No, this ain't Star Fox. (laughs) I mean, it's, you know. In any case, we were talking about the the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Which is not as good as Squadrons. Well, it's also because you said, like, part of the appeal of Squadrons is, like, a tight, concise Star Wars experience, which is Yes. The rise of Skywalker is by any stretch. Um, We don't even have to talk just specifically about Rise of Skywalker. It's just that the... The Mandalorian obviously sort of is released last year in the context of, you know, frankly, the the modern Star Wars sequels kind of falling apart, like critically, like, you know, but before even Rise of Skywalker came out, you have all this sort of acrimony about The Last Jedi. I think there's a sense of like, oh, what are these, like, you know, the character sort of core cast in those movies feel like they're probably being a little mismanaged. And then you get to the rise of Skywalker. Like, first of all, what are your thoughts about that movie? Like just later. The rise of Skywalker or the last Jedi? No, the rise of Skywalker. The rise of Skywalker is just sort of like the last sort of big star Wars movie. Here is my biggest gripe about the rise of Skywalker. And it is also the dumbest one. It is the dumbest thing that I have an issue with, but in the last Jedi, my favorite scene, and possibly the, the more that I think about it, it may actually be my favorite scene in all of Star Wars, is after Kylo Ren gets read his rights by Supreme Leader Snoke, just like gets all up in his ass in the throne room in front of all of like, you know, the cool st- Stormtrooper Royal Guard in the red suits or whatever. Yeah. And he's riding the elevator down and just like shaking with like anger slash embarrassment. And he takes off his helmet, looks at it, and then bashes it against the side of the elevator. And then he steps off the elevator and goes, prepare my ship. And I laugh every time. Like, just because of the way that Adam Driver delivers that line. It's an amazing line of dialogue. And But here's, here's the thing. You mean it as a compliment, don't you? Here's not, the thing. Yeah, but yeah, but the thing is that like I also think that there that that scene says like really important things as as far as like like Ryan Johnson like telegraphing like having to make a movie about Star Wars and taking it in his own direction. You know, there's some stuff that you can read on there about you know, I'm not getting paid to teach a class about this. I'm not writing an article about that scene right now. What I am talking about is the fact that they brought it back around in the rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Where there's this kind of cobbled together storyline where Kylo Ren is reassembling the Knights of Ren and looking for a pathway finder to assemble the final order, like his Nazi Nazi death fleet this time, the biggest one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And like, but I'm saying that like they, like he, he was in the, in the course of running it down along the board table with all of his generals. It's just like being like, you need to go to this planet. You need to pick up this thing. What's happening with this rebellion and this uprising. You need to quash that prepare my ship. And it's like the way that he delivers the line is that it's like, Hey, Hey, JJ Abrams is just like, yo, wasn't it funny how that happened in the last movie? Here's that joke again. And the thing is that it is such a J.J. Abrams thing to just keep flaying the skin off of a joke until there's literally nothing left of it. 
Especially because the Knights of Ren not even that interested. Like the Knights of Ren are like if SEAL Team Six was just like the digital underground. You're just like, why are yeah. these guys look so goofy relative to what they're supposed to be? And they don't have any like laser weapons. Like they got like twirling maces and hammers and shit. And more on the like JJ Abrams joke thing. At, I'm thinking specifically of that scene in the trailer where like the clone troopers start flying and then in order. Oscar Isaac says they can fly now. John Boyega says they can fly now. And then Ray says they can fly now. <laughs> it's just like, that is the comedic sensibility of the rise of Skywalker. And it is so annoying and exhausting. Yeah. Although I think that comedic stuff is definitely more concentrated in the first half of the movie, which I actually think is the better half of the movie. That movie in the second half just becomes. Like, it feels like they're winging the entire movie, right? I don't know. It's, it's, it also, the thing is that another thing that annoys me about the, the Rise of Skywalker is, uh, like, <laughs> is the way that, like, it's shot. Like, there's, it is not, like, uh, like I was saying earlier, a pretty movie. Like, the thing is that The Last Jedi has breathtaking, like, scenes yeah. in it. Literally, yeah. the scene where uh, Stoke's ship splits in half when uh, the Holdo, yeah, Admiral Holdo, like jumps the ship into hyperspace and splits it in half. When there's suddenly like a moment of complete silence in in the sound design, so that you can hear everybody in the theater simultaneously go, <gasps> like there are no moments like that in the Rise of Skywalker, not a one. Do you disagree? I don't disagree at all. I, I really don't. It's funny that you led talking about Kylo, right? Because I think that the character is sort of obviously, you know, the common criticisms about Rise of Skywalker that the character development feels like for pretty much all the characters, nothing pays off and things are just sort of de-escalated rather than resolved and relationships you thought would be cultivated among the characters just sort of are disappeared. I think the most frustrating thing to me with how those movies, like the trilogy wrapped up, right? Uh, the sequels is the fact that I actually like a lot how both J.J. in The Force Awakens and Johnson in The Last Jedi developed Kylo Ren, at least. I, I think that I at least watched Rise of Skywalker with the hope of like, if you fuck up every other character in this, all you really have to do to win me over on some contrarian level is if you at least pull off the character development for Kylo Ren so that he, it feels like this character has an arc across these three movies. And then he just becomes like a different person. Did they, how did they handle that charity? How did they handle it? Please, they just turned him into us. an entirely different Adam Driver character in the rise of Skywalker. It's very, exactly. They were just like, Hey, what's yeah. up? You know, instead of being like the disgruntled middle manager that he was in the second movie that was like also kind of dealing with deep-seated abandonment issues, he's now just Adam Driver in a different yeah. romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah, he's Adam he's just Adam Driver. He's just playing Adam yeah. Driver in that movie. Yeah. Um and I know this is like us sort of <laughs> Having just a bunch of nits with the last Skywalker, which this is, I mean, this is mostly because I finally watched The Rise of Skywalker, but I do think that sort of, you know, put up in contrast with The Mandalorian, right? The, the sequel movies. I don't know. It seems like the thing that they did wrong is exactly what something like the prequels did wrong, right? Where they sort of decided that 
the thing that people like about Star Wars is they like the original three movies story. So what you have to do with Star Wars is you have to keep sort of recreating the moral and sort of plot dynamics of the original story, right? You basically have to be like, but then you hitting- also have to refract them through, like you know, whatever the cultural zeitgeist says, present day anxieties. Like there was the the weird like interconnecting like uh, international trade block dispute of the original like of the of the prequel right. trilogy, right? Like um, Kylo Ren is like an emotionally abusive boyfriend in, in the new trilogy, yeah. 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 And it's it's sort of I, I don't know why it's taken so long, right? For Kathleen Kennedy, all, all the people, you know, it, it it just feels like it's taken a long time for people for it to occur to the people involved in sort of taking George Lucas's thing and turning it into all of these spinoffs. To think, what if the thing that people like about Star Wars beyond the sort of core movies is sort of the the creative playground, right? And the sort of environments and the sort of context that exists around that as like a a kind of thing that you can do other stuff with rather than like, I don't know the thing that makes me something to be beholden to. Yeah. It's like the thing I like about star Wars beyond just the idea of just going back and watching a new hope empire strikes back return of the Jedi. Isn't that like, Oh man, the graphics are so out of date. They need to remake this. It's not the core plot. It's the space. We in space. It's it's literally the expansiveness. Yeah. It's what I was saying. Like it is the feeling of like the same daunting and comforting feeling of having a a new universe to explore. And I like the, the rise of Skywalker, although you go to so many different planets, feels so small, like and mundane. There are like two, like I mean, there's there's whatever that planet is that Darth Sidious like is alive on, then wherever the rebels are at, and you know sundry places in between. But the movie just feels like it just feels like such a liminal space. There's not like the feeling that things are big and possible like with the Mandalorian or with like squat like there's you know exactly where it's going when it starts right and I think part of it is that limitation right and that sense of predictability is because at some point someone (laughs) decided that the thing that people like about Star Wars is very specifically the character of Luke Skywalker or very specifically the idea of Anakin Skywalker or very specifically the ideas of Leia and Palpatine. And I just don't really know, like that sort of harping on those things in in super particular detail is like, oh, these are the characters that people like. It hasn't paid off well. You know, like belaboring Anakin, right? Vader got the prequels and people didn't like the prequels. Then belaboring the sort of like the the literal plot arc of the original trilogy got the sequels and people don't, you know, people seem less than enamored with with those. And so here comes the Mandalorian, right? The Mandalorian sort of gets the thing that I feel like, you know, I don't know, stuff like Star Wars fan fiction, you know, and Star Wars paperbacks got somehow before Disney did, right? Which is that people just like the idea of the general context and universe of Star Wars. They do not need you to remix it. Like you're doing sort of new translations of the Bible, I think is the thing about The Mandalorian. 
I think that my thing about the Mandalorian is that it simultaneously to me feels like that run of Marvel comic books that deepened the Darth Maul character and like, yeah. you know, gave him the depth of backstory and um, complexion that he didn't get. The, I mean, the complexity that he didn't get in the in, you know, episode one, the Phantom Minutes, he was only in the movie for 17 minutes. But it's also like the hologram Easter egg at the end of Han Solo where Darth when. The filmmakers are just like, hey, like at this time, Darth Maul is out here running around. Remember that? And yeah. <laughs> it's like only in there for like 15 seconds and it literally does not matter for longer than that. Right. Right. And that's like that kind of like the Darth Maul. I'm mad you reminded me of Solo. I fucking that movie. Oh, man. Um, that moment in Solo, right? The random D- Darth Maul cameo. Like the worst version of The Mandalorian would have said actually, this is going to be a show about Boba Fett. And actually, the baby, you know, the child is Yoda somehow. Or we need to do a version of it where this character actually is Yoda. And this character actually is Boba Fett. And this character actually is IG-88. And I think for for whatever reason, like the Mandalorian feels like the first thing. Even even counting something like Rogue One, which I like Rogue One a lot. um, But but it's too too different. Like it's obvious. It was obvious watching Rogue One how many cooks there were in the kitchen. Because I mean, the last hour of Rogue One is fucking metal. Like it's it's an awesome movie. But the first part of it is like gives you this whole uh, frustrated emotional story of like, you know, uh, of a father and daughter that I just do not care about. Like not at all. The first half of Rogue One feels like a USA Network movie. And and I could mean that as a compliment. Like, I think there are some days I I watch Rogue One and think I mean that as a compliment. And there are other days where I think I'm more aware of Why couldn't couldn't Jen Erso's character just want to burn some shit down? She had to be doing it for her dad. That was so whack to me. (laughs) You say, why she not Antifa? (laughs) She's... Why y'all give her daddy issues? Why can't she just be like a why you know, can't she just a zoomer yeah, communist? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a thing with like the Star Wars anthology films has been that as the universe, as we've explored it, as it's begun to get like wider, it also has felt as though it's gotten thinner up to this point with the Mandal- the Mandalorian, which actually feels substantive. I agree with that. Yeah. Who are you? I'm Cobb Vance. Marshal of most We're going to do this in front of the kid. You've seen worse. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. 
So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. I think I think my optimism about the Mandalorian, right, despite everything I know about the past twenty years in Star Wars, right, is um, I, I obviously think a lot about you know I think of those Marvel shows right on Netflix because again we've talked mm. about this before on the pod about how I don't give a shit about any of the Marvel movies, I really don't, and yet. Out of nowhere, I found myself really enamored with Daredevil, really enamored with Jessica Jones, not so enamored with Luke Cage. I wrote about that show. <laughs> um, but, you know, I for whatever reason, the pacing of television, right? And the sort of low-keyness, right? Like, the, the fact that those releases felt like a thing that, you know, those shows got uploaded, you could binge watch them, but they weren't the sort of you know, monoculture homework that something like a big blockbuster summer release Marvel movie feels like. And the fact that they're paced in a way that actually gives them time to do the kind of character development and do the kind of like world building stuff at a pace that my sort of, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. My brain getting slower. You know what I mean? Like I can't, (laughs) You can't be throwing all these plot points at me in a movie. I can't be running around like I used to, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing. It's whatever it is about the, and you know, obviously like the Marvel TV shows, right? They have a different tone from the movies. You you know what I mean? It's like, there's more of a sense of like, we're doing adult shit. Um, Especially Jessica Jones season three had that. (laughs) I will say. You watched all the way to Jessica Jones season three. Okay. Yes, it is. It is very like, like daredevil season one is big like grainy uh highly saturated blood spatter adult capital a vibes where it's just kind of like on some and there's just it's just like very it's very i think it was probably like episode five of the first season of daredevil was probably the goriest sequence i've ever seen in a marvel anything up to that point yeah, but I was forgetting about Blade at the time. But yeah, but <laughs> but the thing is that like the the most the goriest Marvel anything I'd seen on quote unquote television, even though it was streaming on Netflix. Vincent D'Onofrio's character is Kingpin, and after the usual "you have twenty four hours" thing that he tells a henchman, and they come up short, he's just like, "Well, you know," and then he just slams the guy's head in the door of a Yukon XL for like a minute and a half. Every single Wilson Fisk monologue in Daredevil is better than any Marvel movie I've seen. <laughs> Period. 
Yeah. Not even a conversation. It's, We're not even talking about it. It's true. Yeah. I mean, like, when it's, I was it's 12. Just, he starts like reading Bible verses. When, like, <laughs> when I was 12, my father, I, my father took <laughs> me out. The tale of the Good Samaritan. The, like, yeah. What's I going mean, like, it's, 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 it's always like deeply literary and illusory and illustrative. And like every fifth word is in all caps. It's like it's it's a it's I mean, Vincent D'Onofrio was in his bag, as they say. He wearing bulletproof suits the whole time. But that's the thing. There's there's a sense of, and, and maybe it's like the texture of New York too in those yeah. shows. But I don't know. It's sort of it feels like it's related to the Mandalorian thing, where you know those Marvel shows feel like they say. You know, forget all the main core storyline of all the movies, all the world ending shit. Like, let's just figure out what's happening on these blocks in which these characters live, right? Like, what bar does these characters go to? Yes, Justin in Hell's Kitchen or Justin Harlem, and it feels like it's very small and like contained and unconcerned with like uh, Iron Man and Spider Man swinging and flying overhead and. Because this is really like at while you're dealing with these like you know, rarely do does does anything in, in these shows like rise to the level of existential threat, but like it's enough to like set some alarms and notifications off at the Avengers Center probably, and it's just yeah. kind of like you got these people with no powers dealing with this shit by themselves. It's very, it's a it's like, but it's also like not a construction that you think that deep that you that you think that often about as you're watching those shows which is like a good quality right and it feels like it's a contradiction of the idea that like okay in order to justify like a new star wars project it has to be the biggest star wars project that's ever happened like that that feels like what happened you know people can talk about all of the sort of lack of coordination between you know jj abrams and ryan johnson right just in terms of the creative vision for the star wars sequels and like sure truth to all that but there's also a sense in which rise of the skywalker feels like it's a victim of this is the biggest star wars movie you've ever seen when it's the ninth star wars movie it very much feels (laughs) like the the ninth star wars movie it was like because the thing is that i guess the ad campaign for the rise of skywalker that like would air during nfl games etc was like They'd have cuts of action with like large splash screens saying, don't be the one to spoil it. Like, you know, you don't want to miss this. And it's just like, yeah, it's not. It's the ninth move. Like, we already know where this is going. There's I mean, we're, we're getting happy resolution. It's one way or another. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't happy or resolved, but, you know. But yeah, I don't know. There's something about there's despite all of that, despite all of the I think bad feeling about the Star Wars movies. Yeah, I think the Mandalorian sort of works on its own terms, and it feels weirdly like light and bright, uh, just in terms of like the outlook it inspires on. Like I don't know, I actually have like a positive outlook on this season of television, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in you know more episodes as it season progresses but like i have like a cautiously optimistic outlook on star wars for the first time in a long time wow. wow you know look at that 
I don't know. I in in a way that feels like it's optimistic because I know that like I I at least don't think they're gonna shove so much like again world ending bullshit into the Mandalorian. We might have to wait till like the Mandalorian season six, you know, for them to start pulling the kind of stuff they pulled as early as the Force Awakens in you know the context of the sequels. Yeah, I mean, there I it's. That is the show's charm. I agree with you. That I have literally no idea where it will end up. Who from Justified may end up in the show next. I personally would like to see some manifestation of a deputy Tim Gutterson like character. Cause I mean, like, that was my biggest issue with the first season is that, like, there's just no dialogue in these long walks to wherever it was that the Mandalorian and the baby would be going. Like, they don't talk to each other because the baby oh, can't you talk like and he doesn't. Dog. The best I mean, thing about Mandalorian like, I liked nah. some of it, but the thing is that, like, it just wasn't, there were, because there were long silences in Car Rise and Justified, but they were punctuated by, like, you know, quippy exchanges. There nah, Between, dog. I'm just saying, like, I... This isn't. This is not your critique. It's mine. This is what no. I want to show. Okay, I, mean, I that's too fair. am America. I know, but it's just that like the Mandalorian is the first thing in Star Wars where Star Wars characters finally shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? That's the thing. That's fair too. That that there's a, a sense comment. of like economy. There's a real sense of economy that just has not there existed is, in Star Wars since like the Empire Strikes Back. It's just that the the show's economy, you know leans a little bit towards frugality as as far as the writing goes okay. to me okay to me. okay why do you throw ig 11 under the bus like that i know we I, got him wait, you, wait time, hold up did i did i i will say IG that is a downfall bus? of the the season i will say that i i know that you know everybody is invested in the child and baby yoda to me yeah. the stuff that i like the most about the mandalorian season one is that i think this sort of full constellation of characters working together as like a action comedy troupe um <laughs> like i think all of those actors and all those characters work together in concert i think it's tough that in the season premiere you're really working with mando as you hate to call him the child and Timothy Oliphant. Cause it, it does feel a little threadbare. You know what I mean? It feels a little like, yeah, man, I miss IG 11 though. I mean, man, my, it my feels nigga Carl Weathers though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean like it feels like it feels like the first cutscene of a video game. The first episode of the, of the, of the show, like much in the same way, like, you know, like the first season of Castlevania on Netflix, like just exists to set up the second season. That was like what I like. That was the overwhelming feeling watching the first couple episodes of the first season of the Mandalorian. Um, but the first episode of the second season genuinely feels like it could be like maybe weird in its own way. Definitely. But I mean, like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, like, we will obviously see and probably talk and subsequently talk about it. I mean, maybe. I mean, look, we, we already are scheduled to talk about. Cowboy Bebop <laughs> at a later date on this on this podcast. Uh, you know, I think I think we finally talk about Cowboy Bebop per popular demand of us since this started as an anime podcast. I feel like that might be a good occasion, sort of, to revisit after we've gotten a few episodes into the current season of The Mandalorian. You know, since we'll be talking about westerns, we'll talk about space talk westerns. About, yeah, we could talk about The Mandalorian some more. Um, yeah, but you know. I, I actually, 
We would love to see this. I, I, we would I'm love happy. to see that. I'm happy. <laughs> All the critics complaining about like, oh, why didn't they just dump it so we can just get over talking about it? Nah. Nah. <laughs> Are you talking... All the critics? Are you talking about me? Because I've been like, you yeah, know. I'm talking about you. This is, <laughs> you are a proxy right now for all of your rank. <laughs> wow, you are you are the Mandalorian. You represent your creed currently, as such. Well, what do you want the them way. to do? I, you don't, don't want to, man. You, this, I, this is the is, way. This is this the, is the you way. You don't want to binge watch this. You don't want to binge. I, be honest with yourself. You don't want to binge watch this show. Come on. I mean, the honest thing is that I won't binge watch this. I don't actually, I can't actually, you don't actually, I don't binge watch anything. I can't sit down and pay attention to anything for six hours anymore. It's like if binge watching, quote unquote, would be me turning it on and then leaving to do other things like wash the dishes. That, yeah, true, true. Um, we'll probably talk about The Mandalorian some more, you know, later in the season. I will say, listeners, you know, obviously we have the email address soundonlypod at gmail.com. Feel free to email us questions about the Mandalorian or frankly, because I don't think y'all are going to ask. You really have questions probably about like the rise of Skywalker. That's the thing. Actually, people who are inclined yeah. to email us yeah. actually probably want to talk about is the movies, mm-hmm. right? Um, so feel free to email us about the sequels, the prequels, the original trilogy, the Mandalorian, Rogue One, Solo. Your There's takes, like one song on the score the, in Solo yeah. I really like. The, the score, the song, the, the, the part of the score that plays during the train sequence in Solo, only good part of that movie. The um, train sequence is the only good part of that movie. That, the sequence itself is not good. The music the tra- is the, good. The, oh, you mean like the, the thing where it's like winding and turning around yeah. the mountainside? Yeah. And- That's not actually a good sequence. It makes no sense. I do not get that sequence, but the music is really good. Um, however, if you want to ask me about my old Star Wars trading cards, you know, any of the supplemental material, which either of us has probably read a lot of and talked to Jason Concepcion about, you know, like, you know, email us Star Wars, anything, any other questions, standing order, do not email us about Lovecraft Country, but otherwise, soundonlypod at gmail.com. We'll see y'all next week. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. Peace. Peace. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.